Let's open our Bibles, chapter 35, Numbers. Chapter 34, we looked last week at the boundaries of Canaan and that the boundaries were spelled out by God. God decided what the boundaries were to be, north, south, east, and west. And, you know, that, that, that wasn't such a bad thing. He didn't tell them, just go wherever you want to. He said, this is where I want you to go. This is what I'm giving you. And it, it was spelled out in, in detail. And sometimes, you know, we talked about boundaries. Sometimes we, we go over the boundaries, Sometimes there's boundaries in our lives. I didn't talk about this much last week. There's boundaries in our lives that we should not cross over, but yet when we do, we find ourselves getting into what? Trouble. God sets boundaries for us morally, spiritually, physically, and we try to do things that we shouldn't do, and we usually end up paying the price for it. So we need to know what God's boundaries are. But, but usually what I talked about last time, usually God gives us a whole bunch and we only take a little bit. We don't really kind of take everything that he's given for us. We don't uh, enjoy and, and uh, make the most of all that he's given us. We kind of settle for less. This land, this promised land was given to them and he told them to take possession and to settle in it. And they needed to work together to get that done. And, and you know, we, we kind of compare it a little bit to our situation, too. You know, he's given us uh, so much. Hello? <laughs> and, and we need to take possession. We need, and that's what, we're, that's what God willing is going to happen tomorrow afternoon. We're going to take possession. And, and then we have uh, different uh, steps that we need to go, to, go through and... Uh, to, to make it all work and all working together with leaders uh, helping to get it all done. Chapter 35 now on today, this is, re- this is really our last chapter in the book of Numbers. We, we already looked at chapter 36. Chapter 35 talks about two things. One, the places for the Levites, the tribe of Levi, one of the, one of the sons of Israel, right? You know, when they, were, when they were to go into the land, each of them were to get a big section, and they were to you know, set it out by proportionally by the size of the tribe and also by, the, by lots. In other words, to make it fair, they would draw lots and, and, and it wasn't favorites any, to any one tribe, wasn't shown favoritism to. But the tribe of Levi, on the other hand, was different. They were not to get any, they were not to get any uh, section of their own, so to speak, or not a big section of their own. And that's what we're going to look at, the places for the tribe of Levi to live. And then the secondly... Uh, the cities of refuge. We're going to talk about that. Let's look at chapter 35, verse 1. It says, On the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to give the Levites towns to live in from the inheritance the Israelites will possess and give them pasture lands around the towns. And then they will have towns to live in and pasture lands for their cattle, flocks, and, and all their other livestock. The Levites had a different kind of calling, didn't they? The Levites had a calling to serve. They had a calling to minister. They had a calling to teach God's word. They were to give their lives wholly to it. And so he's saying here that, you know, they were to be given towns and areas right around all these different towns. And we'll see it's, it's like 48 different towns, 48 different places. In Deuteronomy, it says that the The Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant, to stand before the Lord to minister, 
and to pronounce blessings in his name as they still do today. He says that's why they have no share or inheritance among their brothers. He says the Lord is their inheritance. They would receive towns. They didn't get this big chunk of land, as I said, but they would receive these towns. And the purpose of that, really, when you think about it, is they were called to serve the Lord, but, but God wanted them spread out. They weren't to be just in one place. They were to be spread out uh, uh, amongst the whole land, the whole country, not isolated, not in some little enclave, not in, in some little place where they wouldn't have any contact with people. Someone said, we can't influence those with whom we have no contact. And, and it, I couldn't help but think about you and I. You know, God wants to spread us out too, doesn't he? He doesn't want us all just in one place, in one time. And, and you know, there have been people who, you know, wanted to make little cities where only the Christians would be there. But, but he wants us to be spread out, to be salt and light, doesn't he? Just like the Levites, they were called to minister and serve. You and I are spread out. We leave this place. We get together to be encouraged and, and, and lifted up and, and hopefully strengthened by God's word. But then we kind of leave here and we just like scatter to all these different places in Rhode Island and, and in New England and different places that, that God has called us to be, those, those territories, those boundaries where he has for each one of us. The Levites were the same way. Verses 4 and 5, he kind of gives the dimensions of these, these areas. We're not going to read every word in that. Verse 6, now jump down to verse 6. It says there <clears throat> that six of the towns now go into this, this idea of the cities of refuge. The Levites were given these towns. Six of those towns that the Levites were given will be cities of refuge. Cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone may flee. In addition, give them 42 other towns. In all, you must give the Levites 48 towns together with their pasture lands. The towns you give the Levites from the land the Israelites possess are to be given in proportion to the inheritance of each tribe. Take many towns from a tribe that has many, but few from one that has few. So 48 towns altogether, but of those 48, six of them were to be these cities of refuge, where a person who has killed someone may flee, where someone could flee to, a place uh, of safety and security. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But notice, they begin to talk in really kind of what this, this whole section is about, although I want to make some application at the end, is that there was a distinction made, much like in our system, in our legal system, which I think has some, has some uh, foundations in some of the scriptural uh, uh, foundations. There's a, there's a distinction made between premeditated, intentional murder and accidental, like manslaughter, like uh, where it was something that just sort of happened. There's a very big distinction made, and that's what he's talking about here. Look at verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, select some towns to be your cities of refuge to which a person who has killed someone accidentally may flee. And they will be places of refuge from the avenger, so that a person accused of murder may not die before he stands trial before the assembly. And these six towns you give will be cities of refuge. He says there's to be these towns. He says when you cross the Jordan, he begins to give them instruction about, again, what they do when they cross the Jordan River into this land of Canaan, this 
land of promise. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? He's talking, he's saying that there's going to be bad things that, that happen even over there. How are you going to deal with crime? How are you going to deal with something like murder? And, and uh, you know, has it changed much, this world? It started, you know, way back, Cain and Abel, right? And uh, it hasn't changed much, but he, he begins to talk about it. But what I want to look at for just a moment is this idea of crossing the Jordan. You remember when, when uh, the Transjordan tribes, those tribes that wanted to live on this side of the Jordan, they made this statement. They said, do not make us cross the Jordan. He's giving them instructions, again, what to do when they get there. But to get there, they had to cross the Jordan. They said, do not make us cross the Jordan. Then they agreed to cross the Jordan to help the others. But very shortly, they would be to this place where it's either go forward or don't go at all. I want you to turn with me to, to the book of Joshua. I had a few books. And, and we kind of pick, look at that picture there, Joshua chapter 1. Some verses in the first couple of chapters we want to look at, again, because we're not going to be talking much more about this once we com complete the book of Numbers uh, for some time. He says in verse 1, Joshua chapter 1, <clears throat> says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you... And all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. He says, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River. They had to get ready for it. They had to get ready physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. This was a, a big, big thing that they were undertaking. Jump down to verse 11. He says, Joshua ordered, in verse 10, Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people to get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land your, the Lord your God is giving you for your own. He says, three days it's going to happen. He says, get your supplies ready. We've kind of been hearing a little bit about that today too. There's something ahead of them. You need to get ready. You need to get ready to go forward. Because God is giving this to you. It's not something that you're taking. It's something that God is giving. Then jump down to chapter 3 and verse 1. Chapter 3 says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, they set out from Shedem, and they went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. And after three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. There were leaders that, that had a part to play in all this. They say, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests or Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. You have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. And Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. He says, Con consecrate yourself. But, but notice that before that he says, you know, when you see the ark moving. And what did the ark signify? The presence of the Lord. When you see God moving, the presence of God, of course, he wasn't limited to a little box, a little 
Ark of the Covenant, but it was, it was symbolic, it was significant of His presence. He says, when you begin to see that move, you need to follow it. You need to follow God when God is moving. He says, because you have, have never been this way before. You will know which way to go when you begin to, to follow. He says in verse 4, then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. We are, we are moving out into ways that we have never been before. We've, you know, let's face it, we have never had a place of our own to take care of. There's going to be some big responsibility to take care of. We, we've never been this way before. We don't know what it is that we're going to face. We're going to have to learn as we go. And can we do that? Or, or are we going to be like real inflexible? Well, we've always done it the other way. We've always been portable. We, you know, we've always just kept our stuff in a truck. You know, you could, you could have the God give you this building and we're still carrying the stuff in and out of the truck every Sunday just because we've always done it that way. Well, you know what? You can do that, but I'm not going to do that anymore. I've been doing that for a long time. You've never been this way before. God has got some things for us that we are going to learn as we go forward. And, and you know, we can be afraid and, and not want to not want to go forward because we've never been that way before. How many times is it like, well, we've never been there before, so we're kind of afraid to go there in different things in life. But we, if, we don't, if we don't branch out sometimes, we miss so much in life because of fear. He says, follow God and you'll be okay. And then he says to consecrate themselves. You know, God is doing this thing in our lives, and, and we need to be consecrating ourselves to Him. What does He want to do with this? What does He want to, to do with us in it? And, and how does He want this all to go forward? The opportunities, I think Bob was mentioning it in his, in his opening statement there, the opportunities that are, are going to be part of this. But we need to be consecrated. We need to offer ourselves up to Him. Set apart to Him, that's what that means. Jump down to verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, the spiritual leaders, when you reach the edge of the Jordan, Jordan's waters, have a prayer meeting. Wait six months. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, Go and stand in the river. The spiritual leaders, the priests, they had to like get in the water. They had to actually physically step in the water. Now, they didn't see anything. They had to step and they had to put their actual physically feet in the water. That's what they were told to do. Jump down to verse 13. Let's see what happens. They're told this, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of, ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So the Jordan River at this particular time, it was, it was swollen, it was huge, and, and some say at that point it was like a mile across during flood stage. It says, yet, yet, despite the fact it was at flood stage, yet, despite the fact it looked impossible, you have millions of people, you know, that are going to be crossing this huge river, 
Despite all that, he says, yeah, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap, heap a great distance away to a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarephath or Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood, stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. This is nothing short of miraculous, is it not? Nothing short of miraculous. They, but they had to take some steps, did they? didn't they? They were, they were asked to get ready. To get ready for what? To cross this river. How are we going to cross this river? It looks impossible. It's a mile across. They had to get ready. They had to consecrate themselves. Okay, here I am. What's like going on now? Then the priests, the leaders, had to take these steps and actually put their feet in the water before anything would happen. Then it says, yet when they put their feet, they touched the water. They had to be willing to say, you know, well, well you know, this, looks, this seems kind of foolish, doesn't it? Well, you know, but if, if that's what God says to do, Jesus said to Peter, you know, or Peter said to him, Lord, if you want me to come out on the water, call me and I'll come. Jesus said, come, and he, he got out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. And then, he, of course, he started looking around and fear took over. So the people crossed over. They crossed over. They stood, the priests stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. They stood and, and, and kind of watched the people as they crossed over and into this land, this land of Canaan. Miraculous, isn't it? You know, I, people look at these words in the Bible and they say the miraculous that never happened or anything, but... But you know what? This is God's word. And this is, this is an account of what literally happened, not a story somebody made up and, oh, well, you know, these little things and, uh, you know, they, they kind of try to explain it all away. This is what happened. But, you know, uh, and Norman could testify this, about this, and he will at some point in time. It's no less miraculous for what God is doing with us today. And, and when you think about, when you think about the state of the financial you know, institutions right now, for us to get a loan to go forward, it's nothing short of miraculous. Is it not, Norman? Would you say that? He's going to talk more about this at some point. It, you know, for us to, to, to see God open up doors like this, we've been, we've been you know, taking little steps at a time, little steps and, and being called to step out, but God has, has opened the door. And, 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 and now tomorrow is, you know, God willing, if, the, if Jesus doesn't come back for us tomorrow before 4.30, which that would be okay with me, um, we're going we're gonna to take possession. We're going to take possession. We're going to cross over. Miraculous. Let's go back to Numbers. I need to, I need to talk more about this, uh, the cities of refuge before we run out of time. We're almost out of time. I still got a few minutes left, though. Back to Numbers 35. He talks about someone who had killed somebody accidentally. Again, the, not premeditated murder, not you know, intentional murder, but those that were 
that, that kind of a manslaughter situation, they would flee to the city of refuge where they would find protection from the avenger, the avenger of blood, it talks about it. They would, this was a, to be a safeguard, he says there, for those that, you know, that this happened to where the avenger, which is, I'll explain in a second, the avenger could, could come after them and, and they, would, they would have these places of safety where they would go to uh, so they could then have like a trial, that they could then have a, uh, a trial before the assembly. It was a matter of protection. There were not, you know, police forces like we have today, but, you know, people of every community would have responsibility to enforce these laws. And the avenger, someone says this, the avenger would be a relative of those of the one killed who would take it on himself to protect the family rights to avenge his relative of the loss suffered by the family. So it was a, a matter of protection, the city of refuge. The rabbis say about the, city, the cities of refuge that, that they would keep the roads in good repair so that people could get there. They would also have signposts all along the way, pointing the way with big words, refuge. Not in English, of course. But signs that say refuge. And others said that the gates of these cities of refuge would never be shut. Kind of see where I'm going with this? A city of refuge. A city of protection. A city of safety where your life might be spared if you found yourself in this situation. Now again, we're talking about some of the legal ramifications of, of life and, and the laws that were being you know, set. If it was intentional and it was planned and it was premeditated, someone said this, or excuse me, Deuteronomy says this, not someone, Deuteronomy says that if a man hates his neighbor and he lies in wait for him, that's premeditation, he assaults and kills him and then flees to one of these cities, the elders of his town, where the crime occurred, will, shall send for him and bring him back from that city of refuge and hand him over to the avenger of blood to die. See? So it was only for those, again, that it was not premeditated. Again, they, they distinguished between someone who prepared. He, was, he had hatred. He prepared. He, lie, he said he, he lies in wait for him, and then he assaults and kills him, and he does it all on purpose. Verses 13 to 15, we're going to read all these uh, verses. There were three cities of these six on one side of the Jordan and three on the other. I found that just a little bit interesting, though, because you know, the, the, most of the people were on the, you know, on, the, on the Canaan side, but they only had three, and, and you have the same number of cities on the Transjordan side of, of the Jordan River. I don't know. Maybe uh, things were going to be actually worse out there. I don't know. It's interesting to think about, though. The uh, verses 16 to 21 talk more about this premeditation, and then verses 22 to 24 talk about, you know, the unintentional things that might happen. Look at verse 25. It says there, <clears throat> the assembly must protect the one accused of murder from the avenger of blood and send him back to the city of refuge to which he fled. And he must stay there until the death of the high priest who was anointed with the holy oil. He needed to go and stay there. This is kind of interesting. You think about it too. The, the one who, even though he was unintentional, it was accidental or whatever, but he still killed somebody, right? And so even in our society, when we do something like that, there are still consequences, right? 
we, we may not, you know, um, suffer the death penalty and, and, and that kind of thing, but there are still consequences. So the, 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 the one that was guilty of manslaughter would have to stay in one of these cities of refuge until when? Until the death of the high priest. When you look at this whole picture, you see that, and, and uh, one, one guy said this, that both have caused the death of another man, and only the death of a man can atone for the killing. The one that does it intentionally, he, he gives his own life. The one who does it unintentionally, see, he's got to wait, but he's got to wait until what? Until someone dies. And that happens to be the high priest. We see in, in the book of Genesis, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The legal requirements that are being spelled out here, the, 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 uh, the, uh, for the premeditated case, premeditated case and for the accidental. Someone said this as well, protection of the innocent and condemnation of the guilty. He says it was a just law. It is unfortunate that our laws today are often misapplied so that it is easy for the guilty to go free. He says, no wonder that our nation is defiled with blood and there is little respect for law and order. You know, we're getting into a whole other subject here about the laws of our country as well and, and, and what's right and just and fair. But it kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Sometimes somebody would, would take someone else's life and, and be back on the streets in five, six, seven years. And then, and then what about abortion? I, I think I'd be remiss without mentioning the subject of abortion, that we kill the innocent and we let the guilty go free. It's a stain upon our country. It's a stain upon our nation. Look at verse 30. Anyone who kills this, a person is to be put to death as a murderer only on the testimony of witnesses. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. There's protections. You see, it's not just, you know, because one person says it. There needs to be multiple witnesses. It needs to be very, very clear that this is what happened. Verse 31. Do not accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die, he must surely be put to death. Do not accept a ransom for anyone who has fled to a city of refuge and so allow him to go back and live on his own before the death of the high priest. In other words, you can't buy your way out. And I hate to say it, but isn't that what we see sometimes in our society? People who have the most money, who can get the best lawyer, can then buy his or her way out of uh, the just penalty and justice. Verse 33 and 34, do not pollute the land where you are. Bloodshed pollutes the land, and atonement cannot be made for the land on which blood has been shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the Israelites. It's a serious thing, isn't it? I noticed it got real quiet in here when we started talking about murder and all this stuff. It's great talking about crossing the Jordan. We get all excited, but, but this is reality too. This is life too, is it not? Seriousness, the taking of life pollutes the land is what he says. You think back to Genesis and the Lord said, you know, when Cain slew Abel, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground, pollutes the ground. He says, he says basically this, that the person who's responsible must pay. The punishment must fit the crime. Why did, why did it matter so much? Because the last verse says, I, the Lord, 
dwell among the Israelites. I, the Lord, dwell. Why does it matter so much? Because he is there in their midst. I want to end, and again, as I mentioned earlier, make some application here about this city of refuge because we have a city of refuge, do we not? We have a city of refuge. It's not a physical place that we go to, perhaps, but Jesus Christ is our refuge. He's the one that we can flee to. The truth of the matter is, though, that we, every one of us, are all guilty. Every one of us are all guilty, and we're not only guilty you know, of accidentally doing something wrong. We do things on purpose, too. We're, we're guilty, every single one of us. But it says in the book of Hebrews that we have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us. It says that those of us that do, we can be greatly encouraged because we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have fled to take hold of Jesus Christ in our lives. We didn't, we didn't just sort of dance around it, but we realized that we were in a serious, serious need of Jesus Christ. We're all guilty. And we need, a, we need a refuge, and the only refuge that we have is in our Savior, in our, in our God. Uh, you know, I, I just looked up, and I, I, I'll just read a, a few of them to you about this idea of refuge. And again, refuge being this place of protection, this place of safety, this place of life where you're safe, that your life would be safe. Deuteronomy says the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting God. Everlasting arms. In, in the Psalms, there's so many of them that listen to this Psalm 5. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Psalm 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed. Psalm 18, my God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Psalm 34, blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 46, uh, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Psalm 62, God is our refuge. Pour out our hearts to him. Psalm 91, he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you will find refuge. And finally, Psalm 118, it said, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Where are we going to find that protection, that safety? Is it in people? Is it in man? Is, is it in, you know, government? God help us if we're going to find our safety and our refuge in government. God help us. And I'm not speaking about any one particular government. I'm just talking about mankind and, and the ways of, of man. Jesus is our place of refuge. Jesus is the one where, where the road is always clear where the gate is always open, where the signposts are clear that this is the way. This is the way. Jesus said he was the way. Have we made him our place of refuge or our place of protection, strength, security in life? And lastly, makes me to think about our churches, you know, should they not also be cities of refuge? where people can come and find that grace and forgiveness. We sang that new song today, Everyone Needs Forgiveness. Are we providing a place where they can come and find hope, find help, grace and forgiveness, Jesus Christ, the true refuge? Let's pray together.
Our Father, we thank you so much for <clears throat> your word, Lord, and it, it contains, it, it covers like every subject imaginable, subject, subjects that sometimes we don't even want to talk about, and we, but we need to, and, and things that are going on in this world, and the, the wickedness, and the, and the, the murder, and, and Father, we, we, we pray, Lord, that you would help us in this world. Help us to uh, find our refuge and our strength in you, our protection in you. Lord, I, I pray that you would also uh, use us like these Levites to spread us out, to, to be little beacons of light and let our lights, lights shine, that people could find that refuge and find that hope. And, there, and we would just be little lights kind of shining the way, not to ourselves, but to you, the, 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 the true hope and the true refuge. Lord, we also pray as we go forward in this life, Lord, that you would give us courage, give us strength to go forward, to, to get ready for the, for the changes, for the, for the exciting things that are ahead, for the difficulties that are ahead. That you'd give us courage to, to uh, follow you and, and where you go, we will follow. Where you lead, we will follow you. Pray for any here this morning that that uh, maybe you're here this morning as we're praying and you're looking for refuge. You, you know in your heart that you need, you need help. You need, you need life. You need a Savior. And, and you came to the right place, and we want to just lead you to Jesus Christ. And, and so this morning as we pray, simply, you, all you need to simply do is, is open your life and heart to Jesus Christ, that refuge. Simply say, simply say and pray and ask Him, Jesus, I'm lost. I'm I'm guilty, and I need, I need hope, and I need a Savior. So please forgive me, and please come into my life. And I, I look only to you, the cross, where your blood was shed, your body was, was nailed, where you gave your life for me, where you faced death for every one of us, and, and then defeated death in the resurrection. Please Come into my life today. Father God, thank you that you are Christ. That you're always there. The way is always open. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?